0: What a comfort that truth is about the Lord's omnipresence. Just ponder that if there are a million different people praying right now all over the world, the Lord hears every single one and answers every single one. How can that be? A million all over the world and He hears them as if it's just one. Who is a God like unto thee? Well, we continue our studies in the Decalogue. The Ten Commandments. And we continue with the second one. Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy 5 have the same words. Exodus 20 verse 4. Obviously, the first commandment. Who we are to worship, very important, and every one of the other commandments follow. Thou shalt have, or sorry, excuse me, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven or hewn or carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the, the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. But notice the difference where sin abounded, grace is much more abound, but showing mercy unto thousands, that is thousands of generations, of them that love me and keep my commandments. So we see that like the other like seven other of the 10 commandments it's given in the the prohibition form like the first thou shalt have no other gods before me this one reads thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image that is of god to bow down and worship it the first commandment Answers who we must worship. The second, how we are to worship that one and only true God. The third, why we should worship Him. The fourth, when in particular are we to worship Him. And of course, the Bible reveals to us where. We've read the passage in Deuteronomy 6 in our hearts, in our homes, to teach our children, in our nations. Not only do we have God's word posted on above our doors, but also on the posts or the, the the gates of our city. So the question in Commandment number two is: How do we worship the one and only true God? And the answer is that He regulates, He defines, He teaches us how we may love Him. That's really what is being answered here. How do we love God? Yes, how do we worship him? But we worship him because we love him. He you know, the Lord Jesus says if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So it's not just obedience without a heart, it's obedience from our hearts. And so he he regulates how we must approach him. So he tells us first of all what we must not do. He and we Touched upon that last week. He does not want any images of Him. He makes us in in His image. We are not to make Him in our image or in any likeness of any image in the world. You remember that the second commandment in particular was breached by the Israelites when Aaron made them a golden calf. And people might say, well, why a calf? Why didn't he make a lion, for instance? We think of a lion as king of the jungle. And if you're going to make any image that represents the Lord, it would be a lion in our day. But you have to remember, they were in an agrarian society. And by the way, it wasn't a calf like a small, uh, immature animal. It was a bull. So have you ever stood before a bull that's about... Fifteen hundred pounds—it's intimidating, as intimidating as a lion, maybe even more. I had a friend that uh, worked with him in college, and he—he uh, he had a farm and he had a bull with many cows, and and uh, whenever he would go into the field, he would never walk up the middle of the field. He would always walk up the the, the fence line. Because he didn't know how the bull was going to react to him. And so he always played it safe. But he still, I think the way he said it was, I just don't understand why I walked up the center of the pasture this one day. and It was a very hot summer day. And he had a dog named Ted. Maybe I've told you this story before. But he had a little dog. Lassie, or, or, or uh, what do you call these things? The, you know, the pasture dogs, the, the, sh- the, sh- the shepherd, the, the collie dogs. You know, anyway, Ted must have thought it was a pretty too too hot a day too, because he didn't follow him, and he said he walked up the hill in the middle of the pasture, and as he got to the top of the hill, he looked down, and guess who was looking straight at him? Mister Bull. Huge thing. All these animals around him, but the bull. And you know what he started to do? He started to paw the ground. And my friend said, I'm not going to run because he's going to catch me. There's no way I'm going to be able to make it to the fence line. And he said the bull started to move toward him up the hill. He knew he was going to reach him before he could reach the fence. The better, better thing is to let him just take his own time But he had one escape. It was his friend Ted. And he just said, Ted, Ted. He just kept calling for his dog. And his dog wasn't showing up. And the bull was getting closer and closer and closer. And all of a sudden, before it was too late, Ted shows up. And Ted had that bull in a flurry. He just kept going round and round and biting at the hoofs and... Distracted the bull in time for Mr. Mowry, that was his name to make it to the fence line and to live happily ever after. But when you think of a bull, you think of strength. and, again, in an agrarian society, you think of fertility. They needed many children to work on their farms, as it were. They would need uh, crops to pro- prosper. And so you can understand why the bull was chosen, and not, for instance, a lion. But they were not making that bull as a separate god. Aaron says, "Behold, the gods that delivered you from Egypt." And the word "gods" is, is the word "elohim." It's normally translated "god." And That's the point. They're breaching the second commandment, but the Bible teaches that once you breach the second commandment, you quickly can turn it into the breach of the first commandment as well because you have an idol of the true God and then you start to worship the idol and so you also breach the first commandment as well as the second. So often in these contexts about not making graven images, he'll go on to say, don't worship um, the sun and the moon and and so on you have to understand that the heathen did not necessarily make false gods. They made idols of false gods. And so um, they, would, they would have little suns. In other words, they could carry these representations of their god everywhere and have the favor of their gods. You can't carry the sun with you, but you would have maybe little idols of the sun or the moon or the stars. And so... They were not seeking to make another god there uh, at the bottom of the mountain, but they were seeking to make an image of the, the true God, and it and it was offensive to the Lord. Um, he, he starts out with the negative. In other words, let's let's have an illustration. Suppose your loved one doesn't like canned peas, or raisins, or liver, or coffee, or roses, or or. The color orange. You knew that before you married the person. So you marry and you want to have a nice meal for your loved one and you serve canned peas and you have roses on the table and raisins in the in, in the uh, dessert. Would that be a show of love? When they basically said, Thou shalt not feed me raisins and give me roses and feed me canned peas. Well, the Lord is very clear. He's saying, I don't want this. It's an offense to me. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, insulted by images. I mean, think about any image we can make of a creature to represent a God is just uh, insane. I mean, the Lord made us in His image, but we are not to make Him, uh, images of Him, in our image, or in the image of any of His creatures. So, the prohibition we we touched upon last week, but I have three thoughts as we think about the corresponding precept. First of all, God is a talking God. And that may seem so simple and and, uh, elementary, But the heathen were not used to their gods talking. They were used to worshiping their god with their eye gate, as John Newton would say. Christianity is a religion of the ear gate. God has not given us images. He's given us a book. He's given us words. They weren't used to that. In other words, we walk by faith, not by sight. And we read together this passage. Notice how often it says, you have a God so so near to you, He gives you statutes and judgments. He gives you words, doctrines. He doesn't give you images, pictures. Verse 10, I will make them hear My words. Verse 12, you heard the voice of the words. You didn't see a similitude. You didn't see a form. And that's mentioned three times in that passage. He kept reiterating, you did not see images of me. God is invisible. Immortal, invisible, God only wise. You heard a voice. You did not see a similitude. Verse 13, He declared unto you His covenant ten commandments. Literally, ten words. Now, it says ten commandments in a couple other places, but... The Ten Commandments are called ten words. In other words, God is speaking to us. It's a speaking God through the ear gate. Statutes and judgments again. Verse 14, verse 15. He completes the the section, you saw no similitude is the word form. Again, the nations around Israel had images of their gods. But our religion, the true religion, is... A religion of the book, of the Bible, of words. Now, there are people that will will uh, accuse us of what's called bibliolatry. You people worship a book. Well, let me just say that we have a Bible in front of this pulpit here on this desk. It's not a shrine. We don't bow down to a book. As a matter of fact, we don't have to have a book in front of us when we pray. We have the the words of God in our mind and heart. As a matter of fact, nowadays, God's word is on devices and not just in a book. But the point is that we know that God speaks to us in His word. He does not give us pictures in the sky or pictures in our mind. The only images, in a sense, that He gives us is, is. in the pictures of the Lord's Supper in the pictures of baptism, water washing away our sins, and the bread and the wine, but they're 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 not images of God. They are. You look through them like you have your glasses. These glasses. I'm not looking at the glass. I'm looking through the glass to see. We look through, and how often Spurgeon uh, had a song, had a hymn. If we see. The signs, but see not Him. How poor we are. If all we see is the bread and the fruit of the vine, we don't see Christ. And so God speaks to us. So that's why it's very, we understand why He says, Thou shalt not make into the engraven image. I speak to you. You're to listen to my words. Uh, and so we respect the Bible. But there are for instance the Quran, they never put a Quran underneath another book. It'll always be out but it's it becomes bibliolatry. But and I'm not saying we ought not to have respect. I mean if I have a Bible with a bunch of books, I usually put it on the top. But the point is that we're not worshiping a book, we're worshiping the God who speaks to us in a book or with words. And so we respect his way but the bible says thou shalt not bow down and serve these images but it is getting at that we do bow down and serve God how do we do that is is, is the is the corresponding precept and how we bow down and worship him is regulated by his words and so you've probably heard of the two principles that Christians seek to to worship God by the regulative or the normative principle. The regulative principle says if God commands it, we, we worship Him only by His, what He commands. The normative says if He doesn't forbid it, we worship Him. In other words, there can be inventions if they're not forbidden in the Scriptures. May I say, it's the safe side is to is the regulative principle. God regulates our worship. We worship Him if He commands us to worship Him this way. We don't just invent something. And we'll look into that a little bit later. But the Lord has made things very clear. Isn't it clear? No other gods uh, in my face. and Do not make any forms of me uh, as if they're aids to worship me. God's love and kindness to make these commands so simple and even so brief that we can understand and easily remember He does not leave us to guess or invent the ways in which we approach Him. And so God is a speaking God. But secondly, we remember God is a sovereign God. How we worship God is not negotiable, in other words. He's God. We're men and women. That's what Ecclesiastes said, let our words be few. Um, These are ten commandments, they're not ten commandments. Options. They're covenant terms. Um, the precept is found in John 424. God is a spirit. Worship him, he that worships him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, what's he saying there is you worship God spiritually and scripturally, in spirit and in truth. Notice it says. He that worships God must. Don't don't miss that word in John 4.24. You must worship Him. It's not you should or you may. You must. So not only is the way we worship Him regulated by God, but that we worship Him is commanded by God. It's not, well, if I worship God, I worship God this way. It's, I must worship God and I must worship Him in this way. It's not an option. And it's not just given to Christians. The whole world is to keep the Ten Commandments. And of course, they, they'll find out they can't and they need Christ who kept them for us. And we find out after we're saved, the Ten Commandments are a guide to us in the will of God. I would like to hand the Boston officials, uh, they've asked me to invoke the... the uh, prayer to the Lord on the 15th of June. I would ask you for, for prayer the first time. I would like to hand them a card with the Ten Commandments on there and say, as you're, as our civic, our elected officials, this is God's will for you. You are to keep the Sabbath open and you're not to have things in this town that would distract people from God's Word. Right down the line, be careful you don't deceive be careful that you don't uh, steal. Be careful that you don't make idols. But it's necessary. The word must in John 4.24 is it's right and proper. It's a necessity. It's a requirement. It's a requirement for the glory of God, but even for the good of man. Notice in uh, Deuteronomy, when the Lord talks about them keeping His, his words, that He's not talking about His glory only. But look at chapter 5 and verse 29 of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 5.29 Oh, that there were such a heart in them that they would fear Me and keep all My commandments always. So, it, they would fear Me. It would, be, it would be a reverence toward Me. But that it might be well with them and with their children forever. So He's saying it's not only a glorifying to Me, it's good to you. So if we don't obey God, it's not well for us. It's sickening. It's, it's hurtful. And it's hurtful to our children. And we're not an island. If you and I disobey God, it affects those who are following us. We don't live as islands. It's God's glory and for our good. Proverbs 7 says it this way, Keep my commandments and live. That is, it will be lively. It will be life for you negatively, and right, it goes on to say, if you don't keep His commandments, you're going to be affected by this strange woman. So it, it talks about um, breach of the seventh commandment in particular. So it starts with, have my laws the apple of your eye, or if you don't, you're going to fall. Not, And this is just one example in Proverbs. So the word must has to be kept in mind. This word, for instance, is used, In Mark 8, the Son of Man must suffer and die in order for us to be saved. I must be about my Father's business. This was not an option for Jesus. It was a conviction. Remember John 3, 7. Is it you should be born again to see the kingdom of God? You may be. It's an option. No, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Someone stopped to pick up some tires this week and our neighbors didn't realize that there were tires that were forty-five dollars, and um, they weren't throwaway tires. And I don't know. He described it to me. They're they're larger tires, and and he said, "I get forty-five dollars for these. These people don't realize that." But I asked him, "Are you born again?" He says, "No, but look." And he had a a, a, a tattoo that says, "Believe." Well, I said, the Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Yeah, yeah. I said, are you born again, Rob? He says, oh, no, no. I said, Jesus said you must be born again. You can't go to heaven unless you're born again. Pray for him. Paul said, we ought to speak boldly as we ought. The word ought is must. We must speak bold. There's no other way to bring God's Word to people. We don't come bashfully and timidly to say you've got to be born again we come openly we come boldly not irreverently not in your face like uh rudely but look there's no other way to bring forth the truth and openly and and boldly confidently it says and finally 1 Timothy 3 a bishop must be blameless it's not an option for an elder to be blameless—that is, not to have a, an easily besetting sin that's going to dog him. There shouldn't be anything that we have a handle on. You know, the, the preacher is is always losing his his temper. The preacher is always unbelieving. That it's, it, it's some outstanding sin. Pray for me that there won't. There are there are sins I deal with all the time and I'm I'm dogged about, but I confess them. All of us. Are, Keep me back from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. God determines the ways and means to talk to Him, to honor Him, to refer to Him, to please Him. How wilt thou have me to bow down and worship you? That's the question in number two. We must bow down and worship Him. Commandment number one Lord, how do I bow down and worship Him? But the interesting thing is they actually bow down um, at times in the Bible. For instance, Genesis 18.2, after the Lord appeared to Abraham, it says Abraham bowed himself to the ground. Now, obviously the Lord is not saying that you can't worship me by sitting. I mean, you're worshiping the Lord, I trust, and you're sitting in a pew. You can worship the Lord by standing. You should. You can worship the Lord when you're driving. You can worship the Lord when you're on your knees. When you're when you're on your on your back. There are times that I'm I'm on my knees and I'm falling asleep, and I go on my back because it seems like I, I stay awake a little bit longer. And I say, Lord, I'm not being irreverent, but whatever it takes for me to stay awake when I'm praying. And it says of the people of Israel, they bow their heads and they worship. Exodus four thirty one. Joshua fell on his face and worshipped. Actually the word worshiped is this word bow down. He fell on his face and bowed down is the exact wording. And then Second Samuel fell on his face and did reverence. Verses, for instance, when Naaman the Syrian said, Will you pardon your servant if he goes into the house of Rimmon, and my master bows down to Rimmon?" Not that he's going to bow down. He was was asking for permission that my master, the king, is going to use me to lean on to go into his his house of worship. But he's going to bow down. I won't. And you you and I would have jumped and said, wait a minute, Elisha. You should have told him. I'm not... or, Or Naaman. No, Elisha. You should have told him. Don't even go in there. And you know, again, how patient the Lord is, isn't He? Um... You probably heard of iconoclasm iconoclasts in the in the days of the Reformation. they were zealous, but I think maybe they were they were quickly too zealous in other words, they would go into the churches when they realized that idols were wrong and they would smash they would go into churches that weren 't even their own and smash all the images and statues and it got them in trouble with the law and i'm not saying that whether they were it was good or evil, but it cost Zwingli his life. And you remember, it was good for, uh, the Lord actually told Gideon to go in and smash the idol. And, and, and so God wanted it Gideon at least to be an idol iconoclast. But what I'm trying to say is how patient the Lord is. I didn't immediately get rid of my crucifix. I didn't immediately get rid of that. We, we have baggage that slowly but surely we get rid of. We want to get rid of our baggage, but we need to be patient with one another. But Ecclesiastes reveals that God made man upright, but he sought out many inventions. It's we who invent. God says, look, do not invent ways to please me. I've made it plain in my word. It's, they're my commandments, he says. It's personal. God invented them. Well, they're right. He revealed them to us. It's not that the Lord said, well, I think I'll give you Ten Commandments. Well, the Ten Commandments are, it's a moral law. It's a universal truth. The God who He is, is the only God, so number one is clear, is, is, is truth. It's not He just chose number one. He's the only God. And so number one is logical. It's truthful. And same way with all the other commandments. They're right. And He has do's and don'ts for us. And isn't it amazing that one day the Ten Commandments were all, will be all precepts? We won't need the thou shalt nots in heaven. I'm not going to be tempted to lie to you in heaven when I'm talking to you. I'm not going to be tempted to steal... In your better mansion than mine, we're going to have all precepts. We love the Lord. He's our only God. We worship Him. We please Him the way He wants. We use His name properly in every single sentence, in every single time of worship. What a day that will be. No more thou shalt not. So God is a speaking God, God is a sovereign God. And thirdly, God is an approachable God. Keep this in mind. The Lord didn't say, "Thou shalt have no other," or "Thou shalt not make any graven images." Period. So He leaves us in limbo. So does that mean we don't bow down and worship You? We just don't bow down and worship images of You? What about how can we approach You? He's not saying I'm an unapproachable God. You can't do this. You can't do that. So, He just doesn't reveal it here to us. The precept. The corresponding precept. Are you following me? We have the whole Bible to tell us God does tell us to approach Him. Matter of fact, if you look in Deuteronomy 6, which we read a couple weeks ago, He gives us some ways in which we do bow down and worship Him. Look at chapter 6. Well, let me just start with chapter 3. Chapter 3 of Deuteronomy, verse 23. How did Moses approach the Lord? You see that? And I besought the Lord at that time. What's that revealing? Prayer. We are to pray to God. In no, other words, God is a speaking God, and we are a speaking people back to God. So prayer is revealed. Not called prayer here, but it's prayer. And it's called prayer through through the rest of the Bible. And prayer is not an option. The Bible says pray without ceasing, for instance. Prayer is a command. All the means of approaching God are commanded. Remember the regulative principle we worship the, the Lord. If it's, com- if it's commanded in the Bible. Regula- the normative, if it's not forbidden. We don't go that in that direction. The Reformers said, no, regulative principle. If the Bible commands it, then we follow it. It's not, well, I can just invent something if it's not forbidden. It, does the Bible forbid that we have animal shows in the, in the church? Not that I they're not a reference in verse, there are churches they got animals jumping through hoops. It's a serious business. and you know there are churches that are using coca-cola and potato chips at the Lord's Supper. Can we take that liberty? Absolutely not. And so prayer is there. Look at chapter four and verse five old I have taught you statutes and judgments. There's a second way in which we please God and worship Him. What is it? Teaching. Teaching God's Word is appropriate. It's necessary. Look at chapter 6. In verse 13. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve Him and shalt swear by his name. What is that? Oaths and vows. It's appropriate to in a court setting to put my hand on the Bible, representing the Lord's word it's the Lord's word, and say, I, I swear to tell the truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Because that's found, for instance, in the number nine. Now, the number nine says, thou shalt not uh, bear false witness. Those are the words of court setting. Bear false witness is court, in a court. And of course, Jesus was under oath when the high priest said, I I adjure thee. I put you under oath right now. Are you the Son of God? Jesus didn't say, well, the the Bible says no more oaths. Jesus said, I am. And henceforth, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. And they rent their clothes. In other words, oaths and vows are appropriate in their right settings. It's it's right at a wedding for them to have vows. Oaths. Because of such a serious matter is marriage. Church covenant membership. It's appropriate. When men are ordained, they lay hands on the men and, 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 and the men will, will make an oath. I will, I will adhere to the Word of God. I will preach the whole counsel of God. I will adhere to the, uh, the, the substandards of the Westminster Confession of Faith and the larger and shorter catechism and appreciate the, 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 uh, the, the Free Presbyterian um substandards. We 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 have an oath. John Kelly was licensed on Friday evening, and they had an elder that was ordained in North Carolina Friday evening. And they under oath said that they would be faithful to the Lord. Let me read you the, uh, the corresponding precept in the in the uh, Confession of Faith. I already read to you what is forbidden in the Second Commandment. Remember? It was a long paragraph. Well, what was forbidden? Remember that last week? The sins forbidden are all devising, counseling, commanding, using, in any wise approving any religious worship not instituted by God Himself and right down the line. Well, listen to the, what the duties are. The duties, obviously, it's question number 107 or 108, sorry, what are the duties required? That's the corresponding precept. How we worship God. The duties required in the second commandment are the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God has instituted in His Word, particularly prayer and thanksgiving in the name of Christ, the reading, preaching, and hearing of the Word, the administration and receiving of the sacraments, church government and discipline, the ministry and maintenance thereof, religious fasting, swearing by the name of God and vowing unto Him, as also the disapproving, detesting, opposing, all false worship and according to each one's place and calling, removing it and all monuments of idolatry. (laughs) Again, there's a mouthful. In other words, they tried to enumerate things that were commanded by God not only the, the, the right worship but the detesting the, the of false worship. So again it's it's jealousy for anything that is is not commanded by God that's practiced but also the keeping pure of what is commanded by the Lord and I, again I come back to we're loving the Lord by doing what he what pleases him. It's not just we're robots obeying Him. We're doing it out of love. Those who love me and keep my commandments. We love the Lord if we teach His Word. We love the Lord if we swear by His name in court or at a a wedding ceremony or in a church covenant situation. We love the Lord by praying unto Him and not to another God or not to ourselves. God is a talking God. He makes it very clear. And so, some of those were enumerated in in the question number 108. What does God command again? He commands us to pray. He commands us to have prayer meetings. He commands us to teach. He commands us to have oaths and vows. He commands us to be thankful and to express thanks. He commands us to preach His Word. Now, some of these may be combined, but I'm just enumerating them to show how many, the variety and the number. He commands us to read His Word privately and publicly. Give attendance to reading, Paul told Timothy. He commands us to study His Word, search the Scriptures. He commands us to evangelize sinners. He commands us to baptize, to have the Lord's Supper. He commands us to have church government and discipline of those who do not repent. He commands us To sing. He commands us to meditate. He commands us to tithe. He commands us to memorize. He commands us to fast. Now you say, does God have to command? Can He not speak to us by inference and by apostolic practice? Absolutely. It's not just, well, you have to find a verse that says, you must do this. But the Bible shows us that even apostolic practice and it, by inference that God is showing us a truth. For instance, people think the Sabbath was over with after Christ rose from the dead. Yet we find in Matthew chapter 24 that He told His disciples, He told Christians that when the Romans come, basically that's what He was teaching, when the Romans come and destroy the city, and that would be 40 years later, pray that it won't happen on the Sabbath day. Now did He command us in that verse to keep the Sabbath holy? No, but he was teaching us there's going to be a Sabbath day 40 years from now. It didn't end. It won't end when I rise from the dead. And so we, we learn that God teaches us not just by a command, but by inference and by apostolic practice. For instance, the apostles had prayer meetings. It says they continue steadfastly in doctrine. That teaches us we ought to teach doctrine. In fellowship, we ought to fellowship together. In breaking of bread, we ought to have fellowship around meals and perhaps that's referring especially to the Lord's Supper. And in prayers, and that's that's plural, and most commentators will say he's showing us there that the church is going to have prayer meetings. And they did. Very next chapter, or chapter 3, they went to the temple at the hour of prayer. There was an hour of prayer way back from the Old Testament. It started with Enoch, or uh, um, not Seth, but who was Seth's son? Was it Enoch? Then began, Then it was begun for men to call upon the name of the Lord. Prayer meetings started way back in Genesis chapter uh, 4. And yet, they're being jettisoned today. So the Lord makes it very clear how He wants us to please Him. I know there are differing opinions on some matters. For instance, the use of instruments and, the, and, and actually the singing of hymns. And I just touch upon one differing opinion. Perhaps you've heard, maybe you haven't. There are churches that will not uh, use musical instruments because they say the New Testament doesn't advise of the use of instruments. And they have other reasons. But my answer is, don't take the Old Testament from me. The Bible tells me in Psalms to, to worship Him with cymbals, with, with trumpets, what have you. Now, it's another matter. What about drums? Its a, Okay, what about dancing? There are answers to some of those. Certainly we need to see it's got to be holy. It's got to be appropriate. But musical instruments are appropriate, but there are good brothers and sisters and good denominations that don't do it. Our, um, our book here was purchased by a denomination that doesn't use musical instruments. You say, "Well, why do they have, why do they have, um, music? Because they sing. They got to have. I speak as a fool. They got to have notes when you sing." And the funny thing was, um, they actually provided us with a sheet that said um, alternate tunes. But <laughs> I called them one day and I said. Um, do you have large print for pianists? <laughs> Oops, and I, I, she she smiled and and she you could tell she was because they don't use pianos and organs. So yes, I'll send you something that has larger print. But okay, we agree to disagree. And then there are good churches that are exclusive psalmody; they only sing the psalms. They will not sing hymns. Jeff Bannister in Indianapolis says there's a a group of people that don't have a minister yet, not far away, that will ever so often come to his church, and it's it's got to be sad for him too. But he says they'll sing a psalm, and everybody's singing. And as soon as he turns to the hymn book and asks for a hymn, all the people that have visited from that church, as you say, brother, crickets. It's you know that's it's going to be that way until we get to glory. You say, well, what about what about exclusive psalmody. Well, we believe in inclusive psalmody. You understand that we sing at least a a psalm every service. That's the least we can do. The Bible commands us to sing psalms. You look at Colossians and Ephesians. Now, singing to yourselves in psalms and hymns and then in psalms it tells us to sing psalms. So it's not only inference and example but it's commanded. But yet, You can be in a church for months and never sing a psalm. For years, we didn't sing psalms. We were disobedient to God. It's commanded to sing psalms. And what they'll say is, though, the Lord gave us a a song book, 150 psalms, so there you go. And we say, exactly. We have a psalm book. But in the psalms, and there are reasons we disagree, there are psalms that say, We ought to sing to the Lord of his mighty works. Well, he's done a lot more mighty works than since the book of Psalms. What about the mighty work of the resurrection? They'll say, well, the resurrection's in the Psalms. Psalm 1. They have answers. What about the mighty? What about using Jesus' name in the Psalm, in, in in our worship services? They'll say, Well, Joshua, or salvation's found in the book of Psalms. They have answers. But the Bible tells us that we're to sing to God of His mighty works. To sing a new song that is a fresh song about His works. And so we believe in inclusive hymnology, not just inclusive psalmody. And of course there are other reasons why we believe that that God allows spontaneous singing. Ponder this. We're ne- there, there are those that never say you should only pray Bible words. All the churches that say, for instance, only sing Psalms, they'll let you. The ministers and people will pray spontaneously in their own words according to the Bible. They have in a sermon. I'm not just quoting the Bible 100 percent of the time. There's spontaneity. There's preaching according to the Bible, the words of the Bible. But they won't allow us that liberty in singing. If we can have that liberty in praying and preaching, does not the Bible, and of course it will say, well, it says psalms and hymns. and spiritual songs, there's the answer. We can sing hymns. They have an answer. In the psalms, there are psalms that are psalms, and there are psalms that are hymns, and there are psalms that are spiritual songs. They'll be in the introduction to some of the psalms. So what I'm saying is, you can see how people agree to disagree. and But the point of the matter is, singing to the Lord is commanded. It's a means of worship. And we submit to His way in worshiping Him. Now, I have to just briefly touch upon the responsibility that we cleanse the temple, that we purify our worship, that we are careful not to have modern inventions. And there are many modern inventions. I mentioned them before. Animal shows, dramas, skits, films in in public worship services, healing services, genuflection, and obviously I'm going into professing Christianity, saint invocation, gambling, bingo in church buildings, homosexual ministers, women preachers, the use of relics, all these things are the inventions of men. Even, may I say, Christmas trees in the middle of the church sanctuary. That, God did not command us to do that. And we need to be very careful if we say, well, the Bible doesn't forbid it. We have to be so careful that what we introduce is commanded by the Word of God. And it comes down to, are we going to let God be God? It's the Lord who reigns. It's the Lord who speaks to us. It's the Lord who's approachable. But He wants us to approach Him on, our ter- on His terms, not on ours. I delight to do Thy will, O God. Thy laws within my heart. Obedience is better than sacrifice. But it makes me feel better. It makes me think of God and all these things. It's not a matter of what makes me feel better. It's a matter of what pleases Him. It. We're not God. He is God. Malachi says, if I be a father, where is mine honor? If I be a master, where is my fear? God doesn't have us in a straitjacket. We don't domesticate God by our desires. He is in heaven, we are upon earth, therefore we submit to Him in the way He wants us to please Him. The second commandment, how we may worship the Lord. Be very careful. We don't make images of God and we're careful to take His word, His commands and His teachings and bow down and worship Him as it pleases Him. Oh may the Lord help us to love him as we pray, as we preach, as we witness, as we give, as we meditate, that we would love him with all of our heart that would not be that we wouldn't be robots. the Lord deliver us from being a robotic church. Oh that he would make us an obedient church, but a church that have a whole has a holy zeal and a holy love for him. Let's pray.